G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and our guests today are David and Rosanna Palmer from the Christian musical group Rosanna's Raiders. We're finding out their story as a couple, the story of the band, and we'll also find out how they all became Christians. We, we played in the country, you know, and we had one or two opportunities in the city, but not many. But after a few years, we decided we were going to become a professional band. Now, none of us knew how to do that. We just decided it. I think mm. Rosanna was the one that was most against it. But then um, after a while, she joined another band, which was, again, heartbreaking. But she mm. joined a band in the city. Broke so- his heart twice now. Oh, I'm, I'm keeping shocking, track of isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you get over these things. She joined a band in the city that was called Staten Island, and it played all around Melbourne, and I just hung around the band. I just hung around. And eventually the bass player and the lead, the leader of the band got in some kind of a dispute and he sacked the bass player and I was just there. So then I tried out one song and, and he put me in. So then I was in the band too, which was really good. But it was a six-piece band, so we weren't making enough to be professional. So we figured that we could make as much money out of a three-piece band as you could out of a six, but it's double each. Yeah. <laughs> so then we went back to Rosanna's brother, Henry, and we formed a three-piece band and we only had that going a short time. And then our agent said, oh, there's an agent in Queensland that needs bands. Do you want to go to Queensland? And we just said, yes, we dropped everything, travelled to Queensland, dropped everything, got no idea what we left behind. And when we got there, they said, oh, you're not really suited to what we want, <laughs> but, you, but you've got some potential. <laughs> All the way up Different there. style, yeah. Oh, we, wow. we just played a, a different, different style. style. Yeah, because... Yeah. Brisbane's definition of what a commercial band was was different to Melbourne's definition. Oh, okay. Very heavy funk type. Yeah, they were doing all heavy funk and soul music. We thought commercial band was top 40 for playing in a restaurant quietly. (laughs) That's what it was in Melbourne. Anyway, they showed us some of their bands and then they sent us up to Gladstone. But, of course, in Gladstone... You're getting further and further north. Yeah. <laughs> but they loved us there. That was the That's best right. thing we could do. It was do. a strange thing because we didn't have to change our style there. We just yeah. went, resorted back to more like our first band. We played some heavy music, lots of cover songs, and we were a big hit in Gladstone, huge. Mm. And so we stayed there for a few months, and then the drummer was getting married, so we had to come back to Melbourne. Didn't do much around Melbourne. We probably played a few concerts. But then the agents on the phone, they want you back in Gladstone. So wow, you <laughs> And then the next phone call we got from him about three months later was, uh, we want you to go to Hobart. And by now it's getting on towards winter. So we went to Hobart. We played at the casino there. And uh, that was a hard slog because we were there playing six nights a week. And then occasionally we would have to do the seventh night. Anyway, it was very hard going there. 
it was good. I mean, yeah. we were working. It was great. Yeah, it was. We were working the whole time. So you were a professional band. Yes, you succeeded. Yeah. 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 So things are starting to take off. <laughs> I was wondering if we could just kind of pause the music career and go back to your spiritual backgrounds. Before you became Christians, did you know anything about Jesus and faith in God and the Bible and all that? I grew up in a Catholic church, and so as a little kid, I used to go to what was called catechism on the mm-hmm, Saturday yep. mornings and get all all the teaching, and it really helped me to get a you know an understanding of God, although it was the fear of God, and I think it was that fear of God that kept me out of trouble while traveling through the whole band scene. Yeah, because uh, band scenes typically rock mm, and roll mm. and all that, usually partying and drugs and all that. That's right. So that that fear of God was there, and I knew I couldn't do anything wrong. So that was a, a good thing, but there was never a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And for Dave, he was on the other side of the railway line. Yeah, we both went to church in the same town, Long Laurie. G'day to everyone from Long Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> and Rosanna was at the Catholic Church, which is on one side of the railway tracks, and I went to a church. We went to the Methodist Church, but it's in a building called the Union Church, not the Uniting Church, the Union Church. And we we went there and we did Sunday school and we went to church every week. And you can't really say you learned a lot, but you knew about God until my older sister, you know, the photographer, yep. she started to teach a teenage group. And so when I got to teenage years, she actually taught us some good stuff. And that what we learned with her in that group changed my life from the point of view of like Rosanna, you know, going through the pub scene, the nightclubs, didn't matter whether there was drugs and drinking all around us, there's no way in the world I would have touched it mm-hmm. or done anything sexually impure mm-hmm. because of that foundation that was put in. So, And the other thing, of course, is that Erica then used to send us books. They would always be sending us books um, like Nikki, Nikki Cruz, you know, on the streets of New York City, uh, run, baby, run, uh, that sort of thing. Mm, and the it cross always and had, the switchblade. Yeah, cross and the switchblade. Yep, and it always had the prayer in the back. So we'd read the book and we'd always read this prayer, inviting Jesus into our life. And so that that was there, but that's as far as it went. We just thought, yeah, I'll just lead a good life. We've invited Jesus into our life, but it n- never made any deeper connection at yeah, that Yeah, there was no – see, the churches we went to didn't have salvation in the church. There was no follow-up. There was nobody – to really explain salvation or how it operated. And even though we'd said the prayers and and maybe something had happened because I, I know I didn't even swear when I was a teenager. You know, I just knew. So you're, you're living very moral lives. Absolutely. Especially yeah. for rock stars or yeah. professional yeah. musicians. Yeah. But something was definitely put into our lives from mm-hmm. those churches and our mm-hmm. prayers. And, mm-hmm. of course, our family loved Billy Graham and listened to him every week mm-hmm. on the radio <laughs> without mm-hmm. a doubt. And so how did things change? How did you go to that personal relationship with Jesus? Well, we, you know, the next phase in the career was that we decided to come back to Melbourne and to really try to make it here. And we changed our agent and we had an agent in Melbourne and we were working in then in the hotels and nightclubs around Melbourne. And it was, it we, we were really on the up and up. We started to get a light show, bigger PA. We had our own truck. We had, um, we, we still used to operate the sound ourselves, and the agent kept saying to us, you've got to get a sound guy, and then I can really get you more money. Get a sound guy. So we got one, and then that was worse. It made it worse for him. So then eventually we got a new sound guy who we'd known for a long time through our recording contacts, 
But he was really well known and very, very good. He just had an instinct for it like nobody I've ever mm. seen. Just an absolute instinct. And I learned a lot from him all the time I could. I kept learning. But he was doing sound for us, and we really had some momentum in the band. It was it was a really amazing time. You know, we had momentum. We had everything going for us. The gigs were getting better. We were playing in the major venues around Australia. It was really going well. But the sound guy, who I absolutely respected, almost, you know, almost idolised him, he was having problems with his girlfriend, who was also in the music industry, and he was a heavy drug user, and she was also a very heavy drug user, but she started to have weird manifestations at home. And he was getting concerned about it because she was like a Jekyll and Hyde. When these manifestations happened, he didn't know who she was. He said to me, Dave, her voice changed to the voice of a man and her face changed to the face of a man. And I'd been very shy up till then. And I said, John, I know enough about this, see, from my sister and brother-in-law mm-hmm. who were then pastors. Mm-hmm. I know enough about this to leave it alone, but I know someone who can help you. And he said, who's that? I said, my brother-in-law, because he'd told us some of his stories, which were similar, the people he had to deal with. Now, and when you're talking about manifestations, you're talking about like somebody being possessed. Is that absolutely what I'm understanding? Yes. Oh, yes. So yes. demonic possession is what you're talking about. Totally. And wow. the sound guy, he, he could see this before his eyes, and it was really you know concerning him. Yeah, freaking him out. Totally. Mm, yeah. So when he said that to me, I I just got a bit bold. For the first time ever in my life, I would never say anything to this person because I really, really respected him. But I said, you know, my brother-in-law can help. And he said, when can we see him? And I said, now, let's go now. Now, you've got to understand, my brother-in-law was a pastor. When this person asked me this question, it was 9.30 on a Monday night. It's an hour and a half's drive. I've been a pastor. I don't want someone turning up at my house at 11 <laughs> o'clock Monday night to ask me about demons. So, But thankfully, our brother-in-law, Richard, said yes. So we just jumped in the car and we went there. And, of course, our guitarist, who was living with us at the time, he said, oh, can I come too? So he came. Oh, wow. So the whole gang's <laughs> yeah. heading over to your brother-in-law. Yeah, and we got there. He invited us in. He said, what's the problem? We explained it. And Richard just said to the sound guy, he said, listen, you can't help your girlfriend till you help yourself. And by now, both him and the guitarist are sitting there with these almost angelic looks on their face, and they go, and he just says, oh, what have I got to do to help myself? And Richard said, give your life to Jesus. And he says, okay. And the guitarist said, can I do that too? And the next thing, we couldn't believe it, because remember, the church we grew up in, we never saw this. Mm Mm-hmm. There were both my mates, you know, one a drug addict, sound guy that was just amazing, our guitarist who used to drink and smoke like there was no tomorrow, kneeling down in my sister's lounge room, giving their lives to Jesus. Oh, wow. Mm, It's like time stood still. We we were dumbfounded. And then they turned to us and said, have you already said this prayer? And as Rosanna said, we'd said it many times from the back of the book. So we're going, yeah, I guess we have. Anyway, we finished there at, what, one one thirty in the morning. We got back in the car to go home, and we didn't have a band meeting. We didn't have a discussion. The drummer wasn't present, mind you. Mm-hmm. But we just knew that we had to use our music for God. It's funny, isn't it? Because at that time, they would have normally counseled new Christians that were in bands to give up the secular music. But we just knew that we had to use our music for God. And then we got pulled up by the police. 
And of course, the sound guy still had his drugs in his oh. bag in the car. Just wait, this is driving back from this? Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The same night? <laughs> the same the night. Same oh my night. goodness. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we have to stop it right there because we've run out of time for today's edition of Real Faith. But we invite you to join us again next time for more of our conversation with David and Rosanna Palmer. We'll find out what happens next, how they overcome being pulled over with drugs in the car. Also, we'll find out how they go on to be a Christian band and serve the Lord for many, many years. All that and more next time on Real Faith. Until then, if you want to find out more about them and their music, you can go to their Facebook page. That's Rosanna Palmer Musician. Just look up Rosanna Palmer Musician on Facebook. been listening to Real Faith and if you have any questions or comments you can send us a message through our website realfaith.org.au that's realfaith.org.au 